Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection. With your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, here to share some more ghostly terrors. Welcome, welcome back. It is early April 2023. We're going on the Easter weekend this coming weekend, so I hope you have a good one. Have a wonderful holiday. And I hope you listen to these episodes and enjoy them. I also hope you'll go visit my website, myhaunteddolls.com, And shop in my bookstore because I have all of my books out there. Books that I've written and published. And I'll even autograph them for you with no extra charge. One of my newer, my newest horror book is called Dark Awakening and Other Tales for a Midnight Hour. It's a collection of a few of my original horror stories. I know you'll just love those, so be sure to check that out. And these books are also available on Kindle, Amazon, and so forth. I even have a couple of books on Audible, if you like your audiobooks. So be sure to check those out, and also visit my YouTube channel, My Haunted Dolls, where I post videos of the haunted items in my collection, and the electronic voice phenomenon that I capture from them and other evidence. I know you'll love that and have a spooky time, so go visit. So now we're going to get on to our our uh, story tonight, our main story. I think I can squeeze in a couple of stories here, but the main one, the first one I'm going to do, very creepy. This is a phenomenon that has gone on around the world. Ever heard of the Banshee in Ireland that forewarns of death? Or the Grey Man in South Carolina on the coast who warns people of, of soon-to-come hurricanes? Well, these are what we call ghostly warnings. And that's what this story is about. Some of those ghostly warnings. It is said that the ghost of Frederick the Great of Prussia appeared to his nephew, Frederick William. Frederick William was at that time the ruler of the German state of Prussia. He had sent his armies to invade France. Frederick William thought the invasion was very wise, but the ghost of his uncle knew better. Unless you call off the Prussian army from Paris, nephew, said the spirit, you may expect to see someone who will not welcome you, or be welcome to you. Poor Frederick William was terrified. He was more terrified of what the ghost said than of the ghost itself. 
What do you mean? he stammered. I mean, said the ghostly great Frederick, the white lady of the old palace. I'm sure you know what happens to those who see her. The ghost then faded away. Frederick William immediately called back his armies. As a result, he did not see the white lady, and he lived for another five years. The white lady of the old palace was a ghost, as you may have guessed, but no one was quite sure whose ghost that she was. Several ladies who had died in the 15th or 16th centuries were suspected. Somehow, the White Lady was connected with the ruling family of Prussia and later of all Germany. The family was called the Hohenzollerns. When the White Lady appeared at the old palace in Berlin, the ruler was supposed to die. She was said to have appeared first in 1619. It was during the reign of John Sigismund. The day after she was seen, John Sigismund died. Frederick the Great never saw her. He did not believe in ghosts. However, according to the legend, after he became a ghost himself, he changed his mind about the White Lady. She was seen several times in 1806. A few days later, Prince Louis of Prussia was killed in a battle with Napoleon's army. There was also a reported sighting of the White Lady in June of 1914. The ruler at that time was Kaiser Wilhelm II. The Kaiser did not die, but his relative, Archduke Francis Ferdinand, was assassinated late in June. That was the spark for the start of World War I. The Kaiser survived the war, but Germany lost the war, and the German monarchy was destroyed forever. Some say, by the White Lady and her ghostly countenance. So you definitely do not want to see the White Lady appear to you, because hers is a warning of impending doom. Most likely death. Many other families have stories of ghostly figures that warn of coming death. These ghostly warnings come in many forms. They may be ladies in white or gray. The family of the poet Lord Byron was said to learn of the doom of one of its members when a ghost called the Black Friar appeared. This ghost was said to wander the cloisters of Newstead Abbey. Sometimes these deaths, these death warnings, 
look much more frightening than a white lady or a black monk. The Kinchardines family of Scotland is said to be warned of death by something called the specter of the bloody hand. Often the warnings are not in human form at all. Members of the Vaughn family are supposed to see a black dog before one of them dies. There's a sad story about a member of the family who did not believe in this legend, but then he didn't exactly disbelieve it either. He did not tell his wife about it because he did not want to frighten her. One of his children was ill with smallpox. It seemed to be a mild case, but still, the disease is dangerous and everyone was worried. The family was sitting down to dinner one night. His wife said that she would just go upstairs for a minute to check on the sick child. She came down rather quickly and said the child was asleep. But pray go upstairs, for there is a large black dog lying on his bed, she said. Go, drive it out of the house. The father knew what that meant, so he rushed upstairs. There was no dog to be seen, for the child was already dead. Not all of these stories of death warnings go back hundreds of years. There's a story connected with the 1924 death of a popular composer named Lionel Mockton. One evening, a group of Mockton's friends were sitting around their club. He, too, was a member of the club. One of his friends, Donald Calthrop, got the feeling that something had happened to Mockton. The others brushed this notion aside. Then, Calthrop suddenly fixed his eyes on a corner of the room and shouted, Look! There is his dog! Mockton often took his dog with him to the club. No one else in the room saw the dog. They thought Calthrop was joking. A few hours later, news reached the club that Mockton had died unexpectedly. He had died about the time that his dog was seen in the club. There's a writer on ghostly subjects named Ernest Bennett who recounted the case of a priest he called Father C. Father C. was waiting for a new assignment and was staying in a large house. He was the only one in the house except for the servants. One morning, Father C. awoke early. He went downstairs and there he found an old priest staring at him. Father C. did not know who this priest was or how he had gotten into the house. He was just about to speak to the old priest when the old priest vanished right in front of him. The father asked all the servants who the old man was, but no one else had seen him. They all insisted that there was no way 
a stranger could have gotten into the house. Five or six weeks later, Father C. was assigned to take the place of another father who had died recently. When he arrived at his new parish, Father C. saw a large framed photograph of an elderly priest. Without a doubt, it was the same mysterious man he had seen. When he asked whose picture it was, the reply was, Why, that is your predecessor, the old father. This ghostly figure did not bring bad luck, fortunately. But there's another clergyman who did not have such a happy experience. Back in 1777, a certain Reverend James Crawford was crossing a river on horseback. Riding behind him was his sister-in-law, Miss Hannah Wilson. The water was very high, and Miss Wilson became frightened and begged Reverend Crawford to turn back. I do not think there can be any danger, said Reverend Crawford. I see another horseman crossing just about twenty yards in front of us. Miss Wilson also saw the horseman. The Reverend called out to the other driver, and the rider stopped and turned around. His face was that of a man no longer human. It was ghostly white and fairly glowed with hate and evil. Reverend Crawford was terrified at the sight, and Miss Wilson so terrified she began to scream. Reverend Crawford turned his horse and got out of the river and back home as quickly as he could. He was told that this spirit of the phantom rider appeared every time that someone was to be drowned in the river. It was a warning and an attempt to stop them from drowning and meeting that same fate. Reverend Crawford had been badly scared, but he felt he should not give in to such superstitions. So, he tried to cross that river again. And unfortunately, on September 27, 1777, he was drowned in that attempt. He should have listened and obeyed the phantom rider. And those are some really terrifying ghostly warnings. If a ghost should warn you away from a place, I think it'd be best to just stay away, steer clear, and go somewhere else far away. (laughs) At least that's what I would do. And the second story for this episode is not about a ghostly warning, but more of a ghostly marking. There are all kinds of stories around the world about ghostly markings. Well, the face on the courthouse in Carrollton here in Alabama is one famous one. Um, There are British ghost stories that are filled with accounts of bloodstains that cannot be washed away. And we have those in America, too. 
the stains, blood stains on the mausoleum in Tennessee. That's a good story that I'll share in a future episode about blood stains marking the mausoleum. And uh, there's another one in Mississippi about the floor of an old antebellum home that has a blood stain they could never wash away where a, I believe it was an officer, was shot and killed. But today, tonight, rather, this story, very unusual and very creepy story, is about such a mark. It is the handprint on the wall. The setting for this story is the coal fields of Pennsylvania here in America during the late 19th century. The miners worked under awful conditions and the pay was very low, barely enough to keep a family alive. A man's pay could be cut or he could be fired without warning. The work itself was backbreaking and dirty. It was also extremely dangerous. Every time a man went into the mines, he risked possible death. The mine owners did almost nothing to ensure the safety of their workers. Even those who were not killed outright in mine accidents faced long-term illnesses from coal dust, such as lung cancer. All food and clothing was purchased at stores owned by the mining companies. Many of the miners found themselves deeply in debt to these companies, the company stores. Most of the miners were poor immigrants. They could find no other work. Many of the immigrants from Ireland had come to Pennsylvania to work in the mines. Starting in the 1830s, there were rumors that some miners belonged to a secret society called the Molly McGuire's. The origin origin of the name is unknown. There had been such a secret society in Ireland, and its purpose was to protect poor farmers from their landlords. No one knew much about the Mollies. Even to this day, we don't know uh, enough about them. There were, however, the most frightening rumors. They said that the Mollies were dedicated to sabotage and murder. It was said that the Mollies swore a terrible oath of secrecy. They pledged to kill anyone who opposed them. Those who broke the oath were to be killed immediately. Supporters of the Mollies said that they were trying to protect the miners. If their names were known, they would be fired and perhaps killed themselves. Opponents charged that the Mollies were just lawless men. They said that the the violence was used to settle personal grudges and not to better the conditions of the Irish miners. That controversy goes on today. The Mollies have been called both heroes and villains. 
the mine owners of that time hated them. The newspapers printed sensational stories about the Mollies' deeds of violence. Every murder, every explosion was attributed to them. In the coal fields, there was great fear. No one knew who was a member of the Mollies and who was a company spy. You could not trust anyone. In 1873, the mine owners managed to place a spy among the leadership of the Molly Maguires. The spy worked secretly for three years, and then he reported what he had found to the mine owners. As a result, many men were arrested and tried. Some 19 were hanged for murder. Many others were imprisoned. Was justice done? There's still a dispute about that. Some contend that many of the men were convicted of trumped-up charges. The mine owners, they say, were not interested in punishing murderers. No, they wanted to get rid of potential troublemakers among their workers. So they used it as an excuse. It is from this violent period of history that the story of the handprint in cell number 17 comes from. One of the men arrested as a leader of the Mollies was Alexander Campbell. He owned a small liquor store. He was accused of hiring two men to kill a mine boss. Campbell was tried along with nine other men. They were all convicted and sentenced to hang. The other men stood silently, but Campbell protested his innocence. He continued to insist he was innocent right up to the day of his scheduled execution. The ten men were to be hung on June 21, 1877. On the fatal morning, Campbell rose early and when they came to take him off to the gallows, he shouted, I swear I am innocent. I was nowhere near the scene of the murder. I had nothing to do with it. He then struck his hand hard against the cell wall. It left a dark handprint. Campbell shouted, There! There is proof of my words. That mark of mine will never be wiped out. There it will remain forever to shame the county that is hanging an innocent man. It was said in the region that when the ten men were hanged, the sun was suddenly blotted out. Lights all over the county had to be lit. The day of the hangings is called Black Thursday. By 1880, many of the leaders of the Mollies had been either executed or were in prison. The organization just faded away, but Alexander Campbell's handprint did not. It stayed there as fresh as the day it was made, on the wall of cell number 17.
Many, many attempts have been made to remove the handprint. One of the wardens of the jail recounted his efforts to wipe out the mark. He used strong soaps, solvents, even a large eraser, but nothing worked. He had doubted the story until the day he tried to wash away the print. Afterwards, he said he was quite shaken. He called the whole thing a mystery. So Campbell's prophecy about the handprint remaining came true. But what of the second half of the prophecy? Was the county shamed by hanging an innocent man? That is less sure, but the handprint has become a tourist attraction. Thousands of people come to the Carbon County Jail every year to see it, and you can still see it to this day. If the county is ashamed, it is not too ashamed to turn away tourist dollars. So if you're ever in that area, be sure to stop by. Cell number 17 and pay your respects. And look for that handprint that still remains on the wall. It will never go away. I hope you enjoyed those stories for this episode, and I hope you'll keep on listening, for I shall return in a few weeks to bring some more ghostly tales, or some scary stories, or some dark urban legends, whatever I'm in the mood for. So until then, don't forget to stop by my website, myhaunteddolls.com. Be sure to check out my YouTube channel, My Haunted Dolls. Buy those books today. And uh, stick around for more stories in a few weeks. Or come back and visit me so I can bring you some more scary tales. Until then, have a happy haunting.